Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to another healing conversation brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and today we're going to be talking about healing in a multitude of ways. My guest is someone who healed herself from a life-threatening illness, and she's been helping others and healing others ever since. Thirty years ago, Dr. Sharon Forrest had debilitating chronic bronchial asthma, was dying of lupus, and was receiving last rites. Today, in her late 60s, Dr. Forrest is vibrantly healthy. Today we're going to learn as much as we can from this wonderful lady who's often called Miracle Lady and Bratty Angel. Dr. Sharon motivates, empowers, and inspires all of us to heal all areas of our lives and to realize our dreams. Dr. Sharon is the founder and director of HealthWaves International and the Wayshowers Society, and she offers a wide variety of modalities and workshops for healing, personal growth, and self-empowerment. She's also co-founder of Casa Hogar del Sol and Pasquet, nonprofit NGO organizations in Peru that have flourishing programs that are dedicated to providing a chance at life to the underprivileged children and adults of Peru. She's a doctor of homeopathic and naturopathic medicine, transformational psychology, and clinical hypnotherapy with an extensive background in ancient wisdom, spiritual alchemy, energy, hands-on healing, and nutrition. Welcome, Dr. Sharon. Thank you for being on Healing Conversations. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. Uh, One little correction. I'm in my 70s now. (laughs) I turned 70 in January. Well, congratulations to your 70th cycle around our glorious sun. That's right. (laughs) I admire you so much for the work that you've done. Let's first talk about... You're healing yourself. Can you explain that story for us? Yes. Oh, boy, that was multifaceted. I grew up in a very wealthy Victorian English family with just about every imaginable type of abuse you can imagine. So I developed the illnesses, I realize now, as a result of that. So I had debilitating asthma pretty well all through my life and different diseases like impetigo and chronic bronchial asthma And then, in my late 20s, early 30s, I developed lupus that got progressively worse and nothing was working. Went to the point where I was having last rites. And I heard a little sound under my bed in ICU and I thought, what's that? And I heard it again, so I said, who's under my bed? And my son came out. He was just a little tyke with tears running down his little uh, dirty face and he said, mommy, don't die, mommy, don't die. And I went, oh, my gosh, I've got to get better because if I die, my children will either have to go to my mother, who was so abusive, I wanted to know what hell was all about, so I chose her, uh, or go to my husband. Of course, I married an abusive man, too, or to my older sister, who was very abusive. So I realized I had to get better. 
And so I signed myself out of the hospital. And I had done that three times previously, signed myself out, and within a couple of hours was rushed back into ICU again. So when I said I'm checking out, they said, well, if you do it again this time, you won't, we won't take you back. I said, don't worry, I won't be back. At this point, I realized I had to work on myself. Before, I thought everything was my mother's fault or my sister's fault because if life was going well and one of them came or called, I'd go, uh-oh, everything's going to go bad. And, of course, it did because that was my belief system. I also realized at this point that I really had to look at myself. I had a Ph.D. in people rescuing and a Ph.D. in people pleasing. I always said those are my first two degrees. And so I would be so busy rescuing other people, I wouldn't look at what was buried in my psyche. Mm -hmm. I realized that I had to change my diet, which I did. I became a, a vegetarian and then a raw fooder. Even did a stint of six months as just on water as a breatharian using, getting energy from the air. And then I also looked at my breathing techniques and incorporated those in some yoga movements and started delving into my childhood and looking at things that I didn't want to see. And as I delved in, I realized how there was such a correlation between each of the health issues that I had. I also had pneumonia 13 times as a child. Were all ways that I was trying to escape from everything that was going on. And I didn't want to look at it, so I was busy rescuing other people, and I just shoved my stuff down deeper and deeper to the point that it was literally wrecking havoc on my life and consequently on my children's life too because I find that whatever we don't heal in ourselves, guess what, our children or our grandchildren have to deal with it. So within three months, I totally cleared the lupus. There was not a trace. And then still had, still had a little bit of asthma if I ate like white sugar, white flour, or something deviated from a really good, healthy diet. But now I'm, I'm in my 70s, and I'm really healthy, and I contributed it to working with the emotions. Because I found over the years, no matter how healthy a diet you eat or how much you exercise or how much you meditate, how successful you are in business, how happy you are in a relationship, if you have emotions that are smoldering underneath, then the disease will manifest until you deal with those issues. And I think we all know somebody that seemed to be in perfect health and that keeled over from a heart attack or developed um, cancer or something like that. So I truly believe that you have to go in and heal the emotions. And years ago, uh, I heard about the Kalaweas in, in Bolivia and took a while to track them down. And Kalawea means to carry medicine on one's shoulder. And they are doctors in, um, on Lake Titicaca on the Bolivia side who start studying medicine from the age of three. And they believe, like I do, that you have to heal the soul for the body to stay healed. So I was delighted when... Gary Zukov came out with his book, The Seat of the Soul, because there again he reinforces how important it is to deal with the emotions. 
And I've had a lot of success. My middle daughter was in a wheelchair. And she had rapid onset MS, totally paralyzed from just under the arms down on her 29th birthday and was told she would spend the rest of her life in a wheelchair. And it took me six hours to get her out of the hospital. I flew up. I had my hospital in Mexico at that time. And the interesting thing, Dr. Valerie Hunt, I don't know if you've heard of her. She's really the pioneer of psychoneurmonology. She was the first physicist and scientist researching energy fields and how our emotions reflect and come out into our fields. She was involved in the first Karelian photography. And she had researched me as a healer with this ability I've had since a child to channel hands-on healing. And we became very good friends. And out of the blue, she called me one day at the hospital, and I was so excited because I had a past life documented in New York. And I'm going, Valerie, Valerie, I had a past life documented. And just out of the blue, she said, Sharon, MS is always past life. So that resonated. I felt God bumps in my body. So whenever that happened, it means, okay, big blonde, pay attention. So when I got off the phone, I said to my staff, if somebody turns up here with MS, remind me to do past life. Dr. Valerie said, blah, blah, blah. And then I called Montreal and said to my assistants, if anybody turns up with MS, Dr. Valerie said, never thinking that three months later would be my middle daughter. Wow. Yeah, and I flew in and I found her. It was absolutely amazing, very eye-opening for me. I found her twice in my womb. And she was telling me things verbatim that had happened to me with my husband at the time that I had never even told my best friends or any of my family. Very personal stuff about the type of abuse that I was going through. And she was telling me verbatim things. So we found her twice in my womb and then once in a past life that totally tied up with everything and then once again when she was just a little girl and the three, four incidents, twice in the womb, once past life and once as a little girl, um, they all tied in. And with that, she, and doing the CCMBA, which is complete cellular mind-body alignment, very powerful hands-on healing technique, she was able to get off the respirator, walk out of the hospital, probably about 75% better. And I said, Susie, if you're not 100% better, it means we need to go deeper. I said, Mom, I said, you don't have to do it right now, but as soon as possible, honey, do we have to go deeper. And Dr. Bernie Lacroix brought me up to teach a five-day workshop in his uh, new center up in northern Ontario. He's a medical doctor, naturopathic physician, found that a large percentage of his patients who never got well was due to the fact they had not addressed abuse in their childhood. So it asked me to come up. And I said, Susie, why don't you come with me? You like Dr. Lacroix and his place is on a private lake. You can kayak or paddle or go in the paddle boat or lie in a hammock or read a book or walk through the woods while Mummy's teaching. And then you can join us for lunch and at night we'll be together and we can chat and snuggle and everything. She said, I'd love to come. So she came and like the people there and said, Mom, I think I want to join in. And I said, Honey, we're going to be doing very deep, multi-generational genealogical release work. And she said, I need to come. And that's when she got in touch with 
childhood sexual abuse that absolutely floored me because I had been hypervigilant that they not be abused, but they were. And now she's 47, be 48 on, on uh, next Friday, and she's very healthy. Working with the emotions, the multi-generational and even past life documented. Can you explain more of that? And Boy, yeah, well, as far back, the, the father of medicine said, look not at the disease a person has, rather look at the person who has the disease. And then way back in the 70s, Dr. Ian Pierce, who was considered the father of uh, cancer and medicine in England, said it's not the disease that's coming down multi-generationally. That's an error. It's actually the proclivity or the propensity to think and feel a certain way that is coming down multi-generationally. So that was way back in the 70s. Today, Dr. Bruce Lipton, with his book, uh, Biology of Belief, is saying it's not the disease that's coming down, it's the perception that's coming down. There is no such thing as something coming down through the genes as a disease, that it's more the thought pattern or the perception and then that's, of course, reinforced with uh, Greg Braden's work. So today, more and more, they're proving that. And then with the new science that's just out, neuroplasticity, or reprogramming the wires, it's just a new name for ancient wisdom. <laughs> and that's come back and back again. Well, with the, the multi-generational genealogical release uh, came... At a point when I was doing work on my little, my middle daughter, at 19 she had a non-operable tumor of the rectum that had wrapped around the muscles. And they said if they operated on her, she would either lose full control of her bowels or never be able to walk again. And I said, don't you dare touch my daughter. And so started working, doing hands-on healing and visualization work with her and visualizing the tumors untangling and then dissolving and being taken out of the system on little carts, you know, a little bit like Carl Simulton's work and had her visualize that coming out. And we were able to totally dissolve it and she didn't need to have the operation. Now I realize, of course, that was encapsulating a lot of the rectal sexual abuse that she had had as a child. But when she came to see me, at 19, she had also had a rape that was very painful. It came up during a CCMBA, or that complete cellular mind-body alignment. She went in full-blown into rape. So I thought, oh, no, my daughter's been raped. And so a part of me was that anguish of feeling that. The other part was saying, wow, I'm glad she's working on it and releasing it. So I said, Susie, you were raped. And she said, yeah, Mom, I was. I said, how come you didn't tell me you were so close? She said, Mom, I couldn't. I said, why? She, she said, because you would have tracked them down and killed them, and then you would have gone to prison. I said, yes, years ago I would have tracked them down and killed them, but I said, today I, I gained weight is because I'd track them down, sit on them, and make them do therapy. <laughs> so as a result of saying that, and I said, Susie, you know, I was raped right up into my 40s a number of times, and she said, Mom, so was Carolyn my other daughter, mm -hmm. and then working with my little sister who, when they found her, she had stage four cancer. And uh, so I flew up to work with her and found that she had been raped at 17. So Joan, Susie at 17, me, one of my weirdest rapes was at 17. 
my sister Joni at 17, then finding out my other daughter and my other sister had been both raped at 17. So I realized it was a multi-generational pattern, and how could I break this? And all my life, I had a very questioning mind. I questioned everything. I figured there has to be a solution to something or a problem wouldn't exist. And so I started praying, and I at this point studied just about everything in the field of mental, physical, emotional, spiritual well-being. I'm an infomaniac in that area, always loving new information. So I started praying, and in a dream, it told me how to break multi-generational and genealogical patterns and totally transform situations and to go from anger, hate, resentment, and hurt and illness to love and compassion and vibrant health. So in this procedure that I was dreaming about, I saw uh, me, them making me become Leo, this rapist at seven, when I was 17, and then going through his life. So what had happened at 17, I was working as a social worker, and I went through the slums, and I knew better not to go up an alley in the slums, but I was in a hurry, so I slipped up the alley, and when I did, a man sitting in the bar that was on the corner followed me. And as he was raping me in the alley, he kept saying, it's not my fault you died. It's not my fault you died. Well, I had never seen him before. I thought I was going to die. So with this technique, it told me that I needed to become him. So I was there, saw myself there, and what I was feeling, the terror, the fear, you know, the, the abuse, everything that came up, the panic, and then I flipped and became him, and I became this man of 35 uh, years old that was raping Sharon 17, and I felt his hate towards women, and he was saying, it's not my fault you died, it's not my fault you died, and then I traced him back, me as him, went back to his childhood, and I became Leo as a little five-year-old boy who got typhoid fever. He was in a poor French-Canadian family with 13 children. He got typhoid fever first, then his mother and his older sister, both named Estelle, got typhoid fever and both died. Then everybody said to this little five-year-old, if you hadn't got typhoid fever, Mummy and Estelle would still be alive. Wow. What did this little boy feel? It's my fault, Mummy and Estelle died. And as I mentioned, both were named Estelle. So then the father, totally overwhelmed with 13 kids and no wife, would flip into rage, and who became the scapegoat? Leo, of course. And then because the father was beating up on Leo, then it gave freedom to the others to beat up on him and get their hurt and resentment out that their mother and older sister had died. And then out of desperation, he married a nun that had just come out of a convent. And this poor sweet lady took him on and, as, you know, and his whole family. And he would have bursts of violence where he would throw literally her or Leo against the wall. So all the way through, Leo's resenting his mother and sister for dying and thinking, it's not my fault they died. It's not my fault they died. Then the, the stepmother gave birth to a baby boy, Conrad, and Leo was taken out of school in grade three and made to work on the neighboring farms as child labor. 
more anger and resentment because all his sisters and brothers and his stepbrother were, were going to school and he had to work and all his money had to go towards his stepbrother's education. And being a good Catholic family, they believed that Conrad needed to be a priest. In those days, the Catholic families felt they had to have at least one nun and one priest in the large families to be good Catholics. And Conrad was sent to be a priest to study. And on the day he graduated and they had a huge picnic for him, he drowned. That was another slap in the face that Leo had sacrificed all his schooling and his childhood for this brother who died, you know, drowned on the day he was ordained. So here started a hate towards women, and he became an alcoholic, and he was married four times. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, could this really be? And I was feeling his pain and his anguish. As that little five-year-old, I felt exactly what he felt like. So when I came out of that, I went, oh, my gosh. I, it wasn't Leo 35 raping Sharon 17. It was that wounded little five-year-old in Leo raping me. It's not my fault you died. It's not my fault you died. And so I thought, oh, my gosh. So I called some of my staff and said, come over quick. I've just got a new technique. And after I did going down to Leo, who said, it's not my fault I, you died. It's not my fault you died. It's that little five-year-old. Then I came back up. I was able to reach out and hug that little five-year-old, feeling love and compassion for him. And once I did that, I was able to reach out and hug Leo. But when we have an issue that's unresolved like Leo did, and then I'm in contact with him through that rape at 17, means I have some similar energy to work on, which I didn't realize till I went down into my childhood and found myself as a little baby. I was a twin. My twin brother died, and I was blamed. Wow. So again, it's not my fault you died. Not, and all through my childhood, I was blamed. You killed your twin brother. You died in the womb. Oh. See how we're both working on the same issue? Mm-hmm. So then, after my staff came and I, I got them to do this whole prayer, I said, do it to me again. I want to see follow everything I wrote and do it. And I did the exact same thing, became Leo again, went through his whole life. So then I said, I've got to find him. And so I called the chief of police who had a crush on me at that time, came in very handy at times because I was always in mischief. And I said, (laughs) I need to track down this man. I want you to get his address and his phone number. And he said, are you crazy of all the stupid things you've done? This is the stupidest. I said, no, he's in pain. If I can help him, I can help myself and I can help my family. Wow. With how many other people. And I said, Gee, and I realize now that might have been manipulation of some kind. I said, Gee, you know, if you don't tell me, I'm going to go in the slums and look for him, and that, that might not be such a good idea. <laughs> anyway, he said, Okay, I'll get it for you. So he got me Leo's uh, telephone number and things, and I called him and I said, Please don't hang up. I'm a voice from the past. I can help you and you can help me. He said, who are you? What is this? And I said, I'm the woman you raped on the corner of Atwater and Wellington. I need to see you. I need to speak to you in person. And he's going, what? I said, I want to ask you something. Did you have a sister called Estelle and a mother called Estelle? And he goes, yeah. I said, did you get typhoid when you were five and they died of typhoid? And he goes, 
yeah, who are you? And I said, just a minute, I said I was that woman you raped on the corner of Wellington, but he said, how do you know this stuff? Sir, did your stepmother, did he marry a nun? And, and she conceived a boy who went to study to be a priest and died on the day he was ordained. And he said, yes. I said, I need to meet you. It has to be in a public place, and it has to be in a good part of town. Let's choose a restaurant that's in a good part of town. So we met, and I told him everything, and he was just flabbergasted. Then he said, I want you to come with me. It'll be about an hour and 45 minutes, but I want you to come with me to meet my family. I knew I was going to be safe. You know how you just know inside? I went with him. I met his whole family. And to this day, I'm still friends with them. Everything I got while I became Leo was exactly what had happened. So I literally went from hurt, resentment, anger, blame, to love and compassion in minutes. And I'm doing it all the time. It's been incredible, the results that I've seen with this, like case history after case history of phenomenal breakthroughs. And I think that's part of the purpose on our planet is to reach a place of compassion, like Gandhi, is just total compassion. And in Egyptian numerology, he's a 999, and 9 is the number of having to go from anger, resentment, hurt, and blame to love and compassion in all areas. So look how he did that. Another 999 is Louise Hay, you know, that, that's working through all that had happened to her. And, of course, Jesus with love and compassion. So it, that's been very instrumental, and I do that. It's amazing what happens, how people can hold on to anger, hurt, and blame for something that was really not the way it seems, you know, that there's a story behind it, there's a case history behind it. And what comes to mind was a lady in Rochester, New York, when I was teaching there one time, she came for a private session and said she had been off drugs and alcohol for a number of years but still had relationship issues and still hated her father. So I said, why do you hate your father like that? And she said, well, you would too if he pulled the gun on you. I said, well, it depends. You know, if he pulled the gun on you, he has to have justified himself to himself in some way. I believe that no matter what anybody did, when they did it, they felt it was called for or needed in some way or they wouldn't have done it, that it was justified. Maybe five minutes, ten minutes, twenty years later they might feel guilty, but at the precise moment they were doing the best they could from where they were coming from. They could have done better, they would have. So I said, do you want to heal this? And she said, okay. So we did this technique, the, the multi-generational geological release, and she went back to being a little five-year-old girl, and it was coming close to Mother's Day, and she'd spent the whole week working in kindergarten on this beautiful Mother's Day card. And, you know, when somebody brings a Mother's Day card, the, the mother goes, ooh, and ah, and she might go, what is it? But, oh, and ah, and it gets the predominant place, whether it's on the fridge or on the counter or on the bedside table, but it's something that's going to get oohs and ahs and thank you. So the little girl completed the card, and she came running home from school, didn't linger along the way, running in the house, Mommy, 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 when her father stood at the top of the stairs with a gun in his hand, and he said, Get out, and don't come back till it's dark. The little girl went, <gasps> froze and then ran. 
So most of us would say, wow, what kind of father is that? But I said, what's the reason? So we went back, this lady, Renee was her name, we went through the back, and we found out what happened. The father was a policeman. He had spilled coffee on his second shirt, so both shirts were, were dirty. He said to his uh, navigator and the passenger in the police cab, I'm just going to run by my house. We're in this precinct. I'm going to run by and change my shirt. So he ran up the stairs into the bedroom and caught his wife in bed with the next-door neighbor. Oh, my. And at that precise moment, the daughter came in the door, Mommy, 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 waving her card. And the father went, Oh, my God, I can't let her see her mother in bed with the next-door neighbor. I can't let her see what I'm going to do. So in his mind, out of love and protection for his daughters, he figured if I scare her, she'll run out and won't see anything. It was actually out of love and protection that he did this. And, you know, if you have children, I know I did, if you say to a child that's coming home so excited with a card in their hand, you know, mommy's busy, go play right now, the little one's going to say, no way, I want to give mommy my card, you meanie, you meanie, let mommy, me give mommy the card. So he did the best he could, figured he'd, uh, he'd have to scare her. Mm-hmm. And it was in divine order because she broke the energy. In the end, he didn't end up shooting either one of them. That's amazing. Here was Renee by this time in her 40s. Wow. She had carried this wound for 30-something years. She picked up the phone and called her father and said, thank you for protecting me. Wow. 40 years, that almost 40 years that there had been this animosity between the two of them. But I could tell you hundreds of, of case histories like that, each one so fascinating and so heartwarming. Again, it boils down to those emotions. Yeah, the emotions. Emotions really create our reality. I don't know if you heard about it, but the interesting research that Herbert Spector did, uh, oh my gosh, way back, where he had two sets of mice. And you remember the story of Pavlov and the salivating dogs? Yes. And where he rang a bell and the dog salivated, a conditioned response. Uh Well, this was a case where they had one set of mice that they were giving them polyacid, which is an immune system enhancement, and at the same time had them smell camphor. And the mice's immune system was was enhanced. Soon he took away the the, uh, food and just had them smell camphor, and took away the polyacid and had them just smell camphor, and their immune system continued to increase. Then he had another set of mice where they had them smell camphor, and at the same time they gave them cyclomosphenite, which destroys the immune system. In a very short time, he took away the the, uh, cyclomosphenite and had those mice smell only camphor, and they got sicker and sicker till they died. So they had a strange phenomenon going here. One set of mice smelled camphor and their immune system was ameliorating. They were getting healthier and healthier. And the other set of mice were smelling camphor and deteriorating till they died. So what was the life and death difference between these two? Only a memory, only a perception. Mm-hmm. You see that? So our perception creates whether we're healthy or well, whether we're happy or sad. Whether we're angry or at ease with ourselves is how we interpret things based on what's already in our memory. So the next question is, with today's world as 
time is speeding up, we need to release all of these things. And, oh, definitely, and, definitely. And it's an opportunity. I think everybody listening is in the last five years for sure has had to dealt with something. You know, a great loss or somebody that betrayed them or somebody belittled them or somebody abandoned them or, you know, or they got an illness. I think everybody on the planet in the last five years has had something disrupting happening in their life. And, yeah. and they think, oh, my God, why is this happening to me or what did I do to deserve that? But it's actually a gift. It's making us look at what we didn't want to see. At this time, with the energies coming on the planet, we can't drug, divert, deny any of those things anymore. And I call denial, you've probably heard of the river in Egypt, eh? Denial is not the river in Egypt. But I love acronyms, and I think of denial as D-E-N-I-A-L. Don't even notice I am lying, because often they're not aware of what's going on. It's in their subconscious. And if we don't deal with these issues, we can't drug, divert, deny anymore, if we don't deal with them, I call those an AFCO, excuse my French, another effing growth opportunity, but if we don't deal with them, they become bohica, bend over, here it comes again. Things get worse until we finally stop and say, I'm going to deal with this. Yes. We have the means today. People, So many people with wonderful talents are coming up with all kinds of therapies that will help out and, and inspire and empower people to break through anything. Mm-hmm. And even the most devastating, painful incident, whether it's an accident, whether it's loss, whether it's a disease, is really a gift. If we can look at it as a gift and say, where's the gift in this and how can I use that? Like today, I wouldn't have my programs for street children. I wouldn't have had a home for abused kids at 16 if I hadn't been abused so atrociously myself. My children in Peru wouldn't all be loved and nurtured and held if I hadn't known what it felt like to be unloved and unwanted. So all my childhood led the grounds. They were the foundation of the incredible work I'm doing today, working with abusers as well as the abused and feeling only love and compassion because nobody that's feeling good about themselves will hurt another person. So when I hear of these atrocities that people doing, immediately my heart goes out and I say, oh my God, what happened to that poor soul that he ended up being this way? That's what I want to find out. Wow, if more people could do that, that's really our work here. You are admirable in this sense. How old were you when you were able to look back at the 35-year-old Leo? Uh, At that time, Susie was 19. I I was probably 40 by that time. That's just amazing that you could go back and and welcome him and still be friends with him. And so you've healed him, too. Oh, my gosh. I felt love and compassion. I totally felt the pain and the anguish of that little boy that felt so guilty and that got blamed for everything that really wasn't his fault and how this anger came out towards women afterwards. And the interesting thing, Laurie, you've probably seen somebody went up and said, oh, hello, oh, I'm sorry, I could have sworn you were so-and-so. Yes. (laughs) Everybody's had that example. So Leo was sitting at the bar drinking. When he looked at me, I was this tall blonde with long blonde hair down my back, slim in those days, still am, it's under insulation. (laughs) Uh, he looked at me, and it wasn't Sharon, 19, uh, 17, he saw it was his mother and his sister, both tall, slim, blonde, long, blonde hair. 
And that's what triggered him into that needing to retaliate and to get his hurt out. He blamed these two women for all the troubles he had in his life and all of his failures, even to being an alcoholic and, you know, an abusive, abusive husband and stuff. And reaching that place of compassion, that's really great. You had mentioned numerology. Oh, I love that. Yes, how can that help us? The type I do is Egyptian numerology. And um, the, the interpretation of the numbers plus how you derive the numbers other than the soul path and soul urge are different. And the main karmic lesson and what your soul has been trying to heal over many lifetimes comes from an old, old Egyptian parchment. And I hired a lady in Montreal. We used to have a three-hour interview, a psychological interview with anybody that came to join our, our business. At that time, I was also doing marriage counseling and marriage, um, like a dating service for, people, for professionals looking for marriage or cohabitation only. And we were found the only honest one in all of Canada, across Canada, and the number of places that were closed down, they gave me their data bank. So I was inundated with thousands of names, and I put an ad in the paper for a lady. And, you know, way back in the 70s, 80s, you didn't talk much about being on a spiritual field or, you know, doing hands-on healing. It was kind of hush-hush with the reign of the Catholic Church ruling over Montreal. Uh-huh. So, but I had put it in the paper, and this lady walked in. Oh, my gosh, she would have loved her. A uh, number of people applied, but this one was a cinch. She walked in, she was in her 60s, white hair, rosy cheeks, sparkling blue eyes, with her 26-year-old husband, <clears throat> and her ex-husband, who was a psychologist in tow. Oh. <laughs> I loved her right off the bat. So as I was going over the interview with her that we did with our clients before they could join the agency, she said, uh, Sharon, I noticed you only put their astrolo- uh, astrological sign, but you don't do the moon or the, you know, the uh, rising or any of that. So I said, no, I find that, new- that astrology can get so complicated and convoluted, moon, house, star, Venus, rising, ascendant, and it's just too complicated. And I feel that some people can outgrow their astrology, and if people are a walk-in, then it doesn't really apply. And then she said, oh, okay, but what about numerology? You don't use that either. And I said, I studied that too. I'm fascinated by everything. And I studied Newtonian and Kabbalistic and a number of different types of Pythagorean numerology. And I said, that gets too complicated and convoluted too. And she said, have you heard about Egyptian numerology? So my ears perked up and I said, no, what's that? And she said, give me the date of birth of two people you know extremely well. So I'm thinking, ha, I've got her. Uh, My best, best friend was Richard John Johnson, born on March the 8th. And we had an incredible platonic relationship. And I often said to him, Richard, I wish you were 10 years older, 30 pounds heavier, and 10 and uh, 3 inches taller. (laughs) So I must have said that. A dozen times, at least. On my birthday, I manifested a Richard John Johnson, born on March the 8th, 10 years older to the day, 3 inches taller, 30 pounds heavier. Now, here they are, the same first, second, and third name, the same date of birth, except 10 years difference. So I thought I had her. 
so I gave her little Richard, and she went on and on about him, how he was dedicated to service, how he had a brilliant mind, and we were both immense at that time. And uh, so, and he, she went on and on about his his compassionate, caring heart and how brilliant he was and a good businessman. And I went, wow, this is really little Richard, but it's definitely not big Richard. So I said, oh, you've got it right on. Now do this one. Oh, my gosh, she described it to a T. He was four in second position, meaning a man that will live off a woman. Mm -hmm. The type that really wants everybody to look after them, pay for everything. He had a one in a position that was self-centeredness, narcissistic, that when he wanted something, he didn't care to who it belonged or how much somebody loved it. He felt he was entitled to it and would just take it. He had the one in the position with the eight that represented it where money was concerned. He was extremely dishonest. And he was. To my chagrin, I discovered that he would uh, borrow money from people, get them to sign, and then, de then declare bankruptcy and say, that's their karma. They're stuck with my bill. Or he'd laugh and say, well, I just made $250,000. And I'd say, how'd you do that? Oh, I went bankruptcy. Now this person's going to have to pay my bills. And we were in the process of separating at that time. So she described him to a T. So then I said, okay, do me. Because nobody understood me. I was a real enigma. I definitely didn't understand myself. Okay. Right away by the numbers, she said, oh, you came from a very aristocrat family. You can be very old-fashioned in some ways, very vulgar in others. You had horrific abuse in your childhood. To this point, I never told a soul what was going on in my childhood. To me, because I was so abused meant that I was bad. You know, didn't believe I made a mistake. I believe I was a mistake. So that she said, oh, you'll go on to revolutionize medicine. You'll be written up in hundreds of books. You'll be on thousands of radio and TV shows. And I'm saying, no way. I was so shy unless I was rescuing somebody. But it all came through. Everything she told about me. And she said, you have to come out with your healing ability. If you're a very powerful healer, you're combining healing and uh, psychology together, body, mind, and spirit. And you have to trust what you're getting, and you have to share the messages that are coming through. And I'm going, oh, my God. But it, after that, I was propelled in directions that I had no choice but to start following the path as the healer, counselor, teacher. And you do just have to trust and go forward even though we have to put roofs over our head how did you deal with that financially well, that's an important thing you're bringing up so many people and i again last night we were talking about it with a little group of people that came here so many people say when i have enough money i will become the healer the counselor the psycho the writer the you know book writing songwriting channeler whatever when i have enough money so what they have done, they've taken that force away from the divine power, however you want to call that source, and put it into money. It's one of the biggest lessons. If you trust and let, to totally let go, and you're of service in some way, coming from the heart, expecting nothing in return, that's a big issue, because most people giving from the heart are looking either for a tax return, recognition, fame, something. But to give, truly give, you have to give from the heart, expecting nothing in return. And then the universe will look after you. 
and I'm called the master manifester. It's incredible how I will manifest things. I was going to say, I was going to well, call you a powerful manifester. I could tell already. Extremely so. But the more you let go, every time I kind of panic, like, I'll give you a really good example. One time <clears throat> I was in Peru, and an emergency came up with one of our children. And that meant that the money I brought down to put as a down payment on a piece of property had to go towards this incident, plus also my rent money for the month, plus the, month I, the money I had put aside for the school, because I had a number of children in university. And I got back to Sedona, and I went, oh, my gosh, it was just a few days. I had just the weekend, and on Monday was the first of the month, where I had to wire money to Peru. I had to pay the rent. I had to pay my car, and I felt the panic because there was nothing in my bank account, and I said, okay, phew, tap it out. Even though I have this fear about not being able to pay the rent, the car, blah, 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 I deeply and profoundly love and accept myself, and I did that till I felt the charge out of it, and then I kept saying, I let go, I let God, I will that thy will be my will, and then I laughed and I said, now I wonder how you're going to manifest enough money for me for, the, for what I need on Monday. <laughs> blue, this psychiatrist called me who had taken my two-week intensive that blew his mind open because at first he was so against him. His psychologist's wife had dragged him there. So he called and he said, hey, Big Blonde. He always called me Big Blonde. He said, what are you doing this weekend? I said, nothing really. I just came back from Peru last night and I've got the weekend off. He said, can you possibly squeeze me, my girlfriend, my nurse, and two of my children and a cousin in on private sessions all weekend? I said, sure I can. Wow. Book a hotel near us. We'll fly in. So they flew in. I worked with them each a couple of times, some of them three times over the weekend. They all made major breakthroughs. When he left on Sunday night, he gave me the money for all of their treatments plus a five thousand dollar tip and i stood there going oh my god thank you universe yes but so many times people don't listen you know like another incident uh, i was in this small apartment in in Raj, in uh, vancouver extremely expensive downtown i'm not used to living in a city with the hustle and bustle and the noise and it was tiny, it was in the basement, it was 2000 a month, I didn't even have a washer and dryer or a garage, and I started looking for something else. And we were looking at a couple that were really expensive, and then I'm a two-finger typer, sometimes three and once in a while a four, so Wendy, my little sister, is like lightning. So she's typing, and I'm, you know, narrating to her. Then I said, Wendy, our house just appeared... On, oh, and I said to God, you better do something. I haven't got time to look for a house and find all these places that aren't suitable. So then I said, Wendy, quick, quick, our house just came in, in on the Craigslist. We went immediately to Craigslist, and it came immediately to this huge house, and it said Coquitlam. I said, I don't want to move to Coquitlam. And I said, <laughs> wait a minute. You know, here this appeared. I had to go immediately, and instead of going by price, this, this ad went immediately open to it. So I called and said I'd like an appointment to see it, and they said we're only showing it tomorrow. And I had a feeling I had to act fast. Mm. So I said to them, I'm a doctor, and I'm in privates all day tomorrow and tomorrow night. I have an open window from 3 to 5 today, and I've got patients again tonight. I could come up now. So the gentleman said, let me see if my son can go to the house. 
which he could. We pulled outside and said, Wendy, there's our house. Yeah. Well, it turned out the house has four bedrooms, four bathrooms, three fireplaces, two huge living rooms, and a huge seminar room that sits easily 20 for 300 more than I was paying for two bedroom, one bathroom, tiny minuscule basement flat. And I manifested, and so I said, um, so he said, I said, I'll take him. He said, well, we have more people coming tomorrow. So I said, okay, well, just in case, here's the first month's rent, the last month's rent, plus deposit, and here are two letters of reference. By the time we got home, which was an hour, we had the house. Then Wendy said, oh, my gosh, how are you going to furnish it? I said, watch. Trust. So one morning I said, oh, I need a green chair for the garden room of that nice velvet rocker. And something said, go to Value Village, which is like uh, Salvation Army or something. And I said, oh, I'll go when Wendy comes at 10. It said, go now. I got a brand new velvet rocking chair, one of those padded, nice, comfortable sitting ones, for $10, brand new. That's the way it went for everything. You said people don't listen. They don't listen. Like, <laughs> one example was I said, oh, in the seminar room, which I call the sun, sunrise room because it's all done in colors of the sunrise, like Sedona. And the east morning sun hits hard, and I said, oh, I'm afraid it's going to bleach out some of my beautiful uh, covers because I t- made, uh, took single beds and did all um, one U-shaped wall with them so when extra people are sleeping over, they can sleep there. But during the day, it's got huge cushions on where students can sit on a, a regular chair or on there and sit in lotus or whatever position. So I said to Wendy, we need a teal green blind that will match the, the decor for that window. So off we went to Value Village, and down at the end, I saw this big cardboard tube, and I said, oh, Wendy, there's our blind. She said, Mama, you haven't even looked at it yet. And I said, no, but it's our blind. So I go, I pick it up, and I put it in the basket. She said, Mama, you didn't check the measurements. I said, I don't need to. She said, we should go home and get the measurements. I said, honey, by the time we home and get the, me- the measurements, it could be gone. If I'm drawn to it this way, it means it's, it'll fit. Well, she's sure she's going to catch me. So we get back here with this blind, which turned out to be teal green. She takes it up, and she comes down the stairs going, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. It's a perfect fit. <laughs> I listened. I listened when it said, don't wait for Wendy, go now. I listened when I saw that box, and I put it in. And then another time in Peru... We were going to Machu Picchu in three days, and I said to Malco, 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 we have to change everything. We have to go to Machu Picchu tomorrow. He said, Mama Sharon, the train, the hotel, everything is in three days. I said, we can't. We have to go tomorrow. Change that, hire another train, do anything, but we have to go tomorrow. And he said, why? I said, I don't know, but I just know that I know. He said, I'm going to listen to you. You know, I know you. Well, the train we would have been on was the one caught in the mudslide where hundreds of people died. The mm. hotel, El Pueblos, I always stay in room 67, this little cottage, and that was wiped out. Wow. Wiped out hundreds of people killed. So we had already oh. gone, gone and come back, and I was there to do first aid. Oh. I listened. So how many times have we said, I had that feeling? I had that hunch. I should have listened, but we didn't. And I still do that. 
But I, now I really catch myself. I'll say, wait a minute, what was that I just thought about? Even if it doesn't make sense to me at all, I'll say, what was that? And then I'll do whatever was that inkling. And the more we listen to it, the more we're, we kind of get attracted to hearing it, and more the other pulls away. But every now and then that pesky little intellect gets in the way, and then I go, oh, I should have listened. It's the ego that comes in, the mind that comes in. I find that's the hardest thing that I find the most difficult, and Michelle used to laugh because bless her heart, you know, precious darling Michelle. And I would say, Michelle, don't ask me that question. You know, go within. But, Mama, I don't. Yes, you do, Michelle. Don't ask me. Don't give your power away. Guru means G-U-R-U. Everything you need to know is already within you. Don't ask me, honey. Find the answer within you. And she used to get so mad at me. But today she thanks me profusely for that because, boy, she, she really listens and she goes within and she's such an incredible person in every sense of the word, and she's done so much healing. She's such a trooper, and she's done deep, deep, deep work on herself. Yes, I do want to make, make a mention, Michelle Anderson. We've heard her as a guest on this show as well. Oh. What a loving, beautiful person. Oh, her, and so eloquent. <laughs> I always say that Michelle speaks with a goddess-like authenticity. She does, she does. And she speaks very highly of you, Oh, and, and I just adore her. Yeah. So let's talk about Peru. You've mentioned it several times. You take sacred uh, journeys, and I know Michelle is taking her sacred journey with a group of people on 11-11-11. She'll be joining me there, and Michelle came on two of my trips already. Yeah. How that happened, I truly believe when the universe hands us lemons, we have to make lemonade. So I opened the first hospital that was completely mind-body medicine in Cuernavaca, Mexico. Mm -hmm. And it was written up everywhere as the ideal clinic. And I had people like Brian Wise, Bernie Seagull, Louise, um, uh, Jacob Lieberman, uh, Valerie Hunt, um, Michael Gerber, all these people, Jacob Lieberman, they were all, Walter Morton, they were all on my board. And it was incredible because in Mexico, I could do what I couldn't do here. I have a lot of success, and predominantly I'm using hands-on healing, that complete cellular mind-body alignment, plus this hypnosis, different modalities of hypnosis uh, that I use to reverse a disease, a pattern, an illness, uh, whatever it is. So the hospital was flourishing. We were getting really good uh, results. We were working mitochondria at that time, which was not accepted. We had the very forerunning of the QXCI and the body scans, and we were doing all of that. And uh, then with the riots of Chiapas, everything was gone. We had to get out with our lives. I was the last one to leave. I kept thinking, you know, the riots would stop and people would be safe. What year was that? When was that? The, night, the end of the 80s, in the beginning of in 1988, 990. Mm -hmm. So at that time, um, when... When it became dangerous for people to fly in, because nearly all of our patients were from Europe and Canada and the United States, so when it became da dangerous for them to fly in, I would go down to Mexico City and borrow on my American Express. And because I had such a good credit line, 
they would forward the money, and with 15, 20 minutes to half an hour, I could walk out with 10, 20, 30,000 in cash to pay my, my staff and keep, you know, the, the money that I needed to pay for the place we had bought. But the only problem is you have to pay it back. So uh, when the riots were, I took back off and came back here to Canada, to Montreal, and started a little clinic in Montreal, and then we went back to Mexico, everything was gone. The place had been ransacked, all our, our equipment was gone. And I had sold my house, my car, my furniture, my insurance, my jewelry to make this dream a reality. Wow. So I was devastated. So while my friends were going, oh, I'm going, I'm homeless, you know, it was scary to be in your 50s, not have a penny to your name. And at that time, the music I loved was the Peruvian flute. Mm-hmm. It felt so pure and it would uplift me because there was times I, w- I would slide into despair. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? I'm not a young chick anymore, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so and I had always wanted to go to Peru. And I was doing a talk on reversing diseases in Washington, D.C. When this man came up to me and he said, Dr. Sharon, you have to go to Peru. They believe the same thing you do, that you have to heal the soul for the body to be healed. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, I said, I've always wanted to go. And he said, well, I'm leading a trip uh, these two weeks in October. And I said, well, I'm sorry, uh, Robert, there's no way I can go. I'm paying off a huge debt that I owe to the American Express for my hospital. And I'm, you know, working and doing private sessions and workshops. And I'm booked solid for two years. So there's no way that I can take time off. He said, well, anyway, here's my card if you ever want to go on a trip to Peru or you want to bring a group. Mm. So a few minutes after, oh, Ron was his name. So a few minutes after talking to Ron, Kim, who was taking my bookings, called and said, Sharon, two, the, this couple canceled two workshops in a row in October. They had put their house on the market, and it sold within the first week, and they hadn't found another house yet. So they asked to be put at wherever my first vacancies were up after this. And so I bumped into Ron again, and I said, you mentioned you would like me to teach in Florida. I have two weeks now in October. He said, which two weeks? And I told him, he said, that's the same two weeks um, that I'm doing my Peru trip. <laughs> I said, yeah, something's going on here. I said, well, now I have the time. I just need the money. And this, I don't see any way that I'd be getting that. So in my mind, I said, okay, God, if this is for my highest good, let it manifest. My highest good and the highest good of all concern. So then he said, do you have a lot of friends? I said, I've got tons of friends. He said, get 15 people to come. You come free. I said, what did you just say? He said, you get 15 people. You come free. And anybody over the 15, I'll start giving you $100 per person. So I had 27 people come. <laughs> within within uh, three hours, I had 15. And within three weeks, I had 27 people. So off I went on my first trip. Now, everybody has a different idea of what a spiritual sacred journey is. And he was very much into gambling and into liquor, drinking pisco sours and taking us to uh, factories where they had machine-made jewelry, whereas in Peru, they are so artistic, those people. The most exquisite jewelry and artisana and paintings and every imaginable kind of pottery and art. And we would be in a temple and people would be having emotions coming up or experiencing past lives or tapping into wisdom that's stored there. And he'd say, 
looking at his watch, 20 minutes up, let's go, bus is waiting. And I'd say, can we have a consensus? Nope, bus waiting. And he'd take us to Skosauer or a casino or to a factory. <laughs> we didn't experience Peru, we visited Peru. Uh-huh. Well, I said, I want to experience Peru. But on that first trip, I can walk for miles, but stairs get to my thighs. So I'm huffing and puffing in Oyente Tambo, which has hundreds of steps going up to the Temple of the Sun. And I'm perspiring away and panting, when all of a sudden I feel these little hands right under my buttocks, like right under. And I thought, oh my gosh, I know everybody in this group, but not that well, because everybody was my friend except for one person that this Ron had brought. So I turn around, and there's this precious little guy with sparkling black eyes and black hair, pearly white teeth, in literally a burlap sack with holes, barefoot and a little band around his head, and dirty. And he sees I'm perspiring, and he goes, Kleenex, Cliff, Kleenex, Cliff. And with such tenderness, wipes the perspiration from my face. Well, they already run my, won my heart. Then he pulls me up the rest of the way. And when we were at the top, I was meditating. And you know how you can feel when somebody's looking at you? Mm-hmm. Well, I opened my eyes, and he's looking intently at me. And I said, que pasa? And he said, you, my mother, before in another time. Wow. Well, I didn't know if he said it to get a $20 tip, which he got, (laughs) or if it was true. So anyway, I wanted to experience Peru, and so did a bunch of people that came with me. So within six months, I went back. And I said, I don't really need the travel agent. I'd rather work directly with shamans and medicine men. And why pay an intermediary? I can bring the price down quite drastically by eliminating all that. And then I want a bus that stays with us the whole time with a really good driver so that people can go back and forth instead of carting things. They can leave it on the bus or they can rest and we can stay longer in one place and shorter in another. We're not on a strict time schedule. Yeah. So we get back to Oyente Tambo and there was a lady from San Diego that was with us that had had heart uh, problems and it had indicated that it was safe for her to travel but not to do over exert herself on climbs. So at Oyente Tambo I said to her, Come with me to the Temple of the Blue Ray. It's really powerful here and I'll do what the what the shamans are doing up there. So we were there when little Washington found me and he goes, Mama doctor you're back and I said, Yes and he said, Don't listen to those people, meaning the guides they don't know what they're talking about. I do. I lived here before. So already my my ears are flapping, you know. says, Mama Doctor, can you stop water? And I said, no, I can stop blood. And I was kind of proud of myself. And he said, oh, that's nothing. Come, I will teach you how to stop water. He was nine years old. Wow. I said, how do you stop water? He said, with your mind, of course, how do you think you stop water? So he took us over to a fountain where the water comes out and then it trajects out and then straight down and then with his mind he stops and starts the flow of water and we all did it (laughs) so then that day because it's so beautiful there the snow-capped mountains you're right in the energy of the ruins they had a little gushing stream and fields full of lupins and that haunting peruvian music i said i want a picnic out in nature Mm -hmm. rather than going in and sitting in a in a restaurant so i had the people prepare really nice picnic and I always cook for a whole bunch of people I cannot cook for one person even trying to make a pot of soup for me I'm giving it to all my neighbors (sighs) it just grows exponentially 
So I had, prepared, had them prepare a big lunch, and I said to Washington, are you hungry? He's a starving street child. And he said, yes. So I prepared a big plate for him, and he ravishlessly is gulping the food down, but he stops, and he's only eaten a fourth of the plate. And I said, aren't you hungry? And he said, yes, I'm hungry. I said, don't you like the food? Ah, si, muy rico, it's delicious. I said, why aren't you eating, honey? He said, oh, but Mama Doctor, there are others that are hungry. I'm going to feed the others. Uh-huh. He whistled, and all these little kids came out of the woodwork. He sat them on the grass and fed them one by one. Oh, I said, who is this little boy? Not just any little street urchin. So then I said, when I had a lot of money, I used to say to people, what's your dream? You know, And then without them knowing that I was behind it, it would be able to help them manifest it. So I said, honey, if you could have anything in the world, what would you want? And I thought he would say a really good home or you know, a bicycle or something. He said, Mama Doctor, I must get a good education. I must become mayor than president of my country. I will end poverty. So I said, okay, if you promise to study hard, I'm going to find you a place. I'm going to put you in, a, in, in private schools. I'm going to get you a tutor. But you have to promise to study hard. And he grins at me and said, what about my friend? And here's this other adorable kid with sparkly black eyes, curly black hair, pearly white teeth, grinning at me. I said, okay, only you two. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> need I say more? <laughs> what did it develop into? Well, well, Washington went on to, at 16 years old, getting an award in Bali with Walter Cronkite and Desmond Tutu, youth making the most difference in the world. Oh, really? And I was there with them. And then at 24, they had to change the laws in Oyente Tambo for him to run as mayor from 35 to 24. And he ran with mayor for mayor and almost got it. There was some corruption at the end where a man from Lima flew in, which should not have been. He was an hour and a half or 45-minute flight plus an hour and a half ride to come in and be mayor. But he came in and started bribing the people which was a shock to Washi because he felt that the people that we were feeding and everything were selling their souls for the, the money from this corrupt man who became mayor. But by the time he was 18, we already had his first food line. And when he was 16, it also started the first Christmas, which now we have a, a thousand, probably between five and 6,000 people that we're doing Christmas with. So then he went on, he got a a degree in business administration and tourism and is now studying law. But he has his own hotel, he's got his own food line, his own travel agency, he's doing really well. That was the first one. And each one that I, all the first ones I picked up off the street, if I felt uh, an attachment to them, I I know that I could go far. Like one little girl, horrific abuse on torture and everything as a child and I took her under her wing my wing and I'm tall and I'm a heavy set person and the Peruvians are petite and she's standing beside me and I bought her her first uniform and got her into a school and she said Mama Sharon beside you I look like a flea I know why you have a big heart you need a big body you need a place for your big heart and then she said when you're old and fragile God forbid I will look after you for, with tenderness and love. You will never want for anything. Mama, I will walk in your shoes. She just got her degree in psychology, and she's working with abused children, and she's working for our foundation plus two other foundations as well, specializing in child abuse. 
Carlos is called the father of the children of the street. He went from anger, hate, resentment. When I first got him, did some healing work on him, and he's now called the father of the children of the street. He is so loving, so dedicated, so compassionate, and he looks like Tom Cruise, only better. He's your guide this year in this trip? He's been my guide for years, and he has his own travel agents. He's got a degree in business administration and tourism, and he runs my projects while she's running the old Path to the Heart, which I gave over to my lawyer friend in the States, and then Carlos is running uh, Pascay and Casargo del Sol. So when you are in these sacred sites, let's talk a little bit about ancient wisdom. You mentioned that there's wisdom there in those temples. Oh, my gosh, yes. Different people will pick up on different things. Uh, it's like a reactivation in so many ways that people, and this is where the sad part happens sometimes on a trip, some of the people will be having the most phenomenal experience, like Michelle was one of them once, but there was many like Michelle that would have these phenomenal experiences, and the others, while the shamans are talking or while we're leading them on a journey or something, they're talking about stocks and bonds and, you know, investments and stuff, and then they're pissed off at the end of the day because nothing happened to them that happened to others. But a lot, uh, what seems to come up in Peru is similar a bit to Hawaii, where it like it brings up, erupts up everything that you need to heal on that spills out and creates new land forming for a new way of life. So people literally change. Go on the trips to Peru, they they open their hearts. I think that the Americans and the bringing the intellect and infrastructure to Peru, but Peru is giving the heart, the heart connection the connection and the connection to Mother Earth. So it's going to be a blending of the two. And they have an old saying that says, when the eagles of the north join the condors of the south, it will be the beginning of peace on Earth. And then they have, which is already happening, we are the eagles of the north, they are the condors of the south. And then they have a, a saying, which I find applies so much to this time, more so than when I first heard it, they said in the late 1990s, it is a time of Pachacuti, when the world as you know it turns upside down. It's a death of an old way of life and a resurrection of the new. It's a time when you must go within and, and go into the void and face your shadow side and heal your wounds and use those healed wounds to empower others to heal. That's exactly what's happening. It's not the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. And then wherever you see in Peru, you'll see that these huge uh, stones that are extremely magnetic, like many of them, if you hold a compass to them, the compass goes haywire. Mm -hmm. But the magnetic energy is so strong. And when it's like that, it brings up the emotions that we need to heal. Okay. And, and I, I remember picking up, a, I think it was Watchtower or some magazine like that, and they were talking about Peru and the heathens or the barbarians that believed in animals and, you know, worship animals. It's not that they worship the animal. Like in many houses you'll see in Peru, they have like a cow, on the, like a little uh, ceramic cow or bull on the top of their house. So that's representing not worshiping the bull, but taking on the qualities of the bull, strength, endurance, perseverance, hard work. The dog is loyalty, compassion. 
forgiveness, unconditional love, and protection. So they're looking at each thing. Like the condor, the ego, is the, the ability to rise above the storms of life and see everything with new eyes. It's a new beginning, a new dawn. The snake is the snake of the south, is the direction of the, the south, and the snake is to shed the old skins of your past. A snake, in order to grow, has to shed its skins. Mm-hmm. So we need to shed the skins of our past in order to grow, but it's also the serpent of sacred wisdom. And there's a huge difference between intellect and wisdom. And this is where most humans have trouble because they get so stuck in that little five, maximum 15% mind or brain instead of tapping into the universal mind, which is 85 to 95 or even 99%. And then the West is the direction of the Puma, and that's going into the void, into our shadow side. It's leaping between worlds, and it's daring to step out. The direction of the north is the, the wisdom keepers, the hummingbird, that's bringing sacred and ancient wisdom back to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. So when you're in the sacred sites, the different ones seem to work on you in different ways. Like Machu Picchu really helps people connect back to, the, to where their origin, to whatever star system they came from, and also to the great central sun. So one of the first times I was there, um, one of our guides, or not, probably about the tenth, eighth or tenth time I was there, one of our, because Shasky became our guide then, uh, he was mentioning that on the 21st of June, we do an initiation to the great central sun in Machu Picchu, and that he chooses one person. And I said, Malku, why just one? There are many of the children of the sun walking the earth today. And he said, well, it's just one. And I laughed and said, I bet you it's a pretty girl. And he laughed. But going back to our place, I said to my assistant, this doesn't feel right. There's so many children of the sun that need to make that connection again to who they are and what their potential is. So I said, okay, universe and God, I need clarification on this. Well, for a couple of months prior to this, I kept waking up and hearing this song in my head. And have you ever had a song haunt you where you're singing a morning, afternoon, and night? Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing it in tai tai, oi, ornica, ornica, hey, 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 oi, what it meant? I didn't know. I asked some people, they looked at me strangely. But then it turned out I knew it as, as I went back. I had a dream how to do an initiation to the Great Central Sun that many people were ready. And that I had to sing this song three times and I had to do this particular movement with my head that would activate connecting the pineal and the pituitary gland and open that rainbow bridge. So I said to my little assistant who was from Argentina, Suzanne, and many of the listeners probably remember her from from, uh, when I lived in California. So I said, do it to me first. And usually they'll do things to me first. If I survive, then I'll do it to others, you know, like that multi-generational release. So I did this thing, and I'm leaning down near the Intitata, and behind me is a 3,000-foot drop where I needed to be, where they had shown me I needed to be. And I did that, what they did, and sang Intitata, even though I sing like cats in a washing machine. And then when I lifted up my eye, my head back with my eyes closed, there was strobe lights blasting in my brain and then connecting between the pituitary and the pituitary uh, gland and I thought who's shining strobe lights in Machu Picchu at this hour of the morning 
opened my eyes, it was still just sunrise beginning. The sun wasn't up yet, anything. There was no light. I closed my eyes, bang, and it's blasting in my head again. And then I knew that I had to move over to another place and then went out of body and connected and did more healing. So then I came back and said, okay, Suzanne, what did you see? She said, Mama Sharon, a pyramid formed on your forehead. Your whole forehead lit up with white light and a pyramid shape. Oh, You're wow. kidding. I told her what I saw. Oh, I didn't tell her what I saw. I said, oh, okay, I want to see what happens to you first before I tell you what happened to me. So I got her to put her head down the way they said and to put her hands the way they said. Then I did my anti-tai-tai thing, which means, oh, great-grandfather's central son, by the way. Mm -hmm. So I did it to her. Then I said, okay, now keep your hands there, keep your eyes closed, lift your your head back. And right away, the white pyramid appeared on her forehead, but also a band with a star in the middle. So obviously I've been a high priest at some point in Kuru and Machu Picchu. So her forehead lit up. So now I'm really excited, and we go running back to take the bus all the way back to our hotel, get everybody else up. Come on, quick, 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 come on to Machu Picchu. Those of you that want to do an initiation to Great Central Sun, I'm ready. Well, everybody that was ready, their forehead lit up with white light. We even did Lena Nalala, the, the kahuna, the last of the Ohani family, the original royalty of the Hawaiians, I did her, and her forehead really lit up. It was just brilliant white light. And it shows up in pictures. You can show it in pictures. So that was doing the initiation to the Great Central Sun. So there isn't just one. There's many walking the earth, and some just need a kick in the astral, you know, to, to get them going and what they need to do in their life and not keep waiting or coming up with the yes buts, but, 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 Take the first step, keep saying, I let go, I let God, find me where you want me to be, doing what you want me to be, and do, and watch how the universe supports you. But too many people give their power away, saying, I can't do this till I get another degree, I can't do this till I have the money. That's yeah. a cop out. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, it is really true. You said it, we have to trust and go forward. And that's one of the hardest lessons is to trust, isn't it? to totally let go. Like my daughter last night said, Mom, I used to pray that it wouldn't be like you because you have no security behind you. You don't have money in the bank. You don't have this. You don't have that. Uh, you know, your own house, you're just renting. And I said, Susie, I've got more security than anybody with any amount of money in the bank because I manifest everything I need when I need it. Like I woke up one morning and she had driven from Toronto to here with this dilapidated old Sebring in the snowstorm over the Rocky Mountains. It's a miracle she got here. And the car was clanking and everything. And then she found a little nighttime job here at Home Depot. So, and one morning I heard a voice say, you need to go and get Susan a car today. So I got up. When, Michelle, when Wendy came in, I said, honey, look after everything. I'll be back in a couple of hours. So I went and checked to get the car. I said, this is what I can afford. This is what I want. I want a new car. I want this, 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 this. Then I came back and said, come with me. I've got something for you. And I bought the car. Well, her car gave out mm-hmm. on the way to the garage. <laughs> listened. And I knew, because when I went here in Coquitlam, they were not coming to the price for the car that I wanted. 
and something said go down to Vancouver and go to Chrysler, blah, blah, blah. So I went there and I said, this is the terms I'm willing to pay. This is how much I want to pay and this is what I need and this is the price I want. Can you give me this or not? And they said, we'll work it out. And they did. And I got her the car. That was, again, just trusting. If I had stopped and said, oh, my God, I can't take on another car payment. I've got all this, that, 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 that. But I just said, okay, I wonder how the universe is going to supply me for extra funds for this. You know, it's just wonderful to hear you say that, Mama Sharon, because you've got that trust where some people, here's the ego. It would come in and say, that's being reckless. That's being irresponsible. But that's our mind. So my question is, how do you determine what voices to listen to it's it's hard it was just it, it because the the ego voice i think of ego i love acronyms so i think of ego zgo edging god out yeah and that often speaks with the louder voice it's that it's that first quick fleeting voice that you hear and it's often the softer one but the more you pay attention the more it comes into the forefront and the more that intellectual, small mind, ego voice drops into the background. But it's to, to just catch yourself and trust and then forgive yourself like I would even tap out even though I just listened to my intellectual voice and not my perception or my inner wisdom, I deeply found in love and accept myself, you know, and then let that go and catch myself. It's like one one really funny story was when I was living in Encinitas, I was putting on a workshop for the weekend, and I was going to make a kish. I have this incredible kish that's made with artichoke hearts and asparagus and things. So I opened the fridge to make the kish, and I had just a few hours before the workshop, and my housemate had used all the eggs. <laughs> Gosh, I don't have time to go down to the health food store. I'm just going to have to go to Lucky's. So as I'm starting down the steps to run and get eggs before my first student arrives, I hear a voice say, take a Peru flyer. I said, a Peru flyer? I'm just going to Lucky's. Take a Peru flyer. It's just like a feeling. Sometimes it's a voice. Like this morning I heard a voice, wake up. You need to be awake. Uh-huh. It occurred to five this morning and I got up. But um, sometimes it's just a feeling, like an inkling, a, a small perception. So I said, this is stupid, but I stuck the fruit, the Peru flyer in the slot of my purse. So actually the part saying Peru was just sticking out. So I get to Lucky's, I grab a few dozen eggs, I'm back in the checkout, and of course when you're in a hurry, it's slow. <laughs> you know, I'm probably about the 15th back in the express lane. <laughs> Behind me is a little boy of eight or nine, extremely restless and agitated. But he had string in his hands. So I turned around and said, Honey, do you do string magic? And he goes, Uh-huh. I said, Wow, are you ever smart? I can't do that. Can you show me some really easy tricks? And he goes, Uh-huh. So he starts showing me tricks. And I'm ooing and aahing and congratulating him and trying to do what he was doing with such dexterity. And then it came time for me. I put my eggs on the conveyor belt, and I put my purse down to open it to get my change purse out, and the woman behind me, his mother, goes, ah, 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 and I said, I'm a doctor. Is this epilepsy? Is this a diabetes seizure? What's coming on? And she goes, Peru, Peru, Sharon Forrest, Sharon Forrest, and 
And I said, yes, I don't usually affect people this adversely. <laughs> I said, what's going on? She said, I've heard about you and your sacred journeys, but I couldn't find you anywhere. And this was just after I got wiped out with everything in Mexico. Eh? So I said, I lost all my database. I lost everything. I had no foundation to start with. It was literally a brand new start. So I had to show people you can survive something like that. Yeah. So she said, I've always wanted to go, blah, 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 blah. And I, I said, um, oh, next Wednesday we're going to have a slideshow at my house with a little potluck dinner. She said, oh, no, I live in Boston. I said, Boston, what are you doing here? And she said, well, my husband's at a meeting in L.A. My son always wanted to go to Park Safari and uh, SeaWorld. So we were down there. We're flying out tomorrow morning. And I'm going back now to meet my husband at a hotel in L.A., but my son started to crave milk and cereal and would not wait the other hour and a half till we got to, the, to where they were. So she said, I pulled off at the first exit, pulled into the first store I saw, which was Lucky's. <laughs> right there on the conveyor belt, she gave me a check for the trip. These are just amazing stories. If I hadn't listened, which didn't make sense, I'm going fast in and out to the to the store to pick up eggs, period. But if I hadn't listened and stuck that Peru trip thing in my my purse, she would never have seen it. Mm-hmm. There's countless stories like that. And I I just think of all the all of us who are missing out on those lessons. Any advice? Listen, and the other thing is every time you succeed say thank you. Every little minuscule coincidence, you know, whether you find a penny, you get a good parking place, somebody gives you a comment, you have a question and you open the book to that exact page. I'm sure you've had that. Yes. <laughs> and I use Kimberly Maroney's Angel Blessing cards, which I absolutely adore, and Doreen Birch's cards, and then Daniel Choquette's. And then I'll say, okay, I need clarification on this. If I get in the way with my mind, I'll say, okay, I need clarification on this. And then blow the breath of God on the cards. Just shuffle. Do not pick it because that's you again taking control. Just shuffle the cards. One will flip out. <laughs> and I've had so many miracles happen with this. One of them was knowing that I had to move to Sedona and think I wouldn't move for four years. And then a weird series of events happening that I had to move fast. The house I was in sold. The place where I had my office sold. And I had been away. I didn't get the letter on time. I only had 10 days to move. And um, then I, I left a note. I flew in, got this thing. As I climbed into bed, it said, check the first front door. There's a letter for you. And I went, what? And when I checked, there was the registered letter, or the express mail telling us that we had so many days to vacate. So I had mine going, oh, my God, I'm leaving in three days, and then I'm going to be gone for three weeks. And how am I going to do this? So I came back, called Peru, said to Carlos, I need your help. I was walking on the beach, and this man that I knew said, Sharon, you look worried. And I said, oh, my God, I just got news. I have to move. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. I've only got three days to find a place. And he said, well, I have a place in Temecula, a five-bedroom house. You can use it. We don't use it. And my wife, my, um, we have a cleaning lady there and a cook and a Mexican gardener, and you're welcome to have it free. <laughs> When you're traveling, I'll use the house. And I said, oh, thank you. But it doesn't feel right. And then, then I go to Trader Joe's to get salad. And this lady says, 
sitting down, it's 8 o'clock, 8.30 in the morning, and she said, are you Dr. Sharon Forrest? And I said, yes. She said, you saved my life 30 years ago. And I said, oh, thank you. And, you know, it was more your work and, and me being just a channel. She said, were you in, in Sedona last week? And I said, yeah. And she said, I thought I saw you at the health food store. When I turned around, you were gone. And I said, oh, I, was, I had a group there, and it was teaching meditation and raw food. And so I would just run. And then I said, um, she, I said, did you have a good vacation? She said, I live there. I said, what are you doing here? She said, I used to live here. I said, where? She was my neighbor three houses down. Wow. So I said, do you travel a lot? She said, all the time. I said, how do you get in and out of Sedona? She said, well, it's a three-hour drive, but I just meditate or meet new people or get caught up in work. I said, what's the rent like? She said, I have a five-bedroom house for $1,200. I said, Wow. I said, this is in divine order. Back I get to the house, pick up the phone, book a flight right away, first out of San Diego to Phoenix, pick up a car, drive up, look at where I was in Sedona. Nothing appealed to me. Picked up the paper. There was a haze over one. I picked it up, went to the house, walked in the front door, said, this is the house where I need to be. Had even another one with a, a seminar room. And it had a mother-in-law suite downstairs. It was a cul-de-sac right on the river overlooking Bell Rock incredibly cheap so I went wow I called Michelle and telling her wow I just found the perfect house mama don't go there stay here you know how good I am on the phone and I've just talked to the phone company we can have all of your phones transferred to our house and Brian said it's okay and I talked to Rennie who is on baby leave and Rennie loves working for you and she's got a room in her house where she can do all your bookkeeping and your secretary work and you know how you love Hummingbird Cottage, and you can stay there free. Just put your clothes in storage, and then when you're traveling, we'll rent out Hummingbird, uh, Hummingbird Cottage. And I said, Michelle, I don't see me having stuff in storage. I'd like to know where everything is. And if I come home and I need a quick government paper, or I, or I say, wait a minute, now I'm going to be, you know, at this formal dinner as a guest speaker, and then I'm going to be rolling on the floor with students, and then I'm going to be working with patients and all these different clothes I need, and what do I need for each class, and where in the heck are they in what box? I said, I don't see that. She said, oh, Mama, but just think of all the money, you know, twist, 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 all the money you'll save for the children in Peru if you don't have to pay rent and everything. So now she's got me confused. So I go, okay. So I said to the, travel, to the uh, real estate agent, can you give me an hour? And he said, sure. So I walked into the bookstore thinking I was going to find Kimberly Marooney's Angel Blessing cards, when Daniel Choquette's Ask and You Will Know cards were some jumped into my view. I'd never seen them before. So I blew the breath of God on it, and the card flipped out, and I picked it up, and it said, Letting Go, Divine Guidance. Now, for years, all the administration of Path of the Heart, Pascai, Kazorgari, was getting me down. I would literally choke as I sat at the desk with this overload of paperwork and government work plus my private sessions, plus my workshops, plus the books I was writing. So I felt overwhelmed. And then I thought, well, I've been a born-again virgin for 30 years. I've been so busy. There's been no time to have a relationship. And I miss close friendship because I'm working all the time, and I need to get time to write my book. So the card picks up creative juices, letting go of divine guidance, there comes a time in your life, and it's telling me that I need to let go of things that have been holding me down and choking the life out of me. It was time to write the books I've had on the back burner for many years. It was time to open up and to let a relationship into my life and to come out into the community and to make friends. 
and that it was a time to, to make a major move, to don't question, to don't doubt, to make the loop of faith and to go for it. I sat on the floor with tears running down my eyes saying, oh my God, what are the chances that this would be the card that would spill out? And I'm a 22-4 in Egyptian numerology with 11 personality, and it was on page 22, number 11. <laughs> so I'm there laughing and crying on the floor saying, wow, look how much the universe really loves and guides us that they do something like this. So I said, call back, Michelle, guess what? I'm moving here. I'm signing the lease. So I signed it. We moved in, Michelle and a bunch of people. We did a caravan from my little place in Capo, Capistrano Beach to this place, and I only had a few days before flying out for three months. She said, Mama, what are you going to do with your plants and everything? What about your bills? I said, that's up to God. I'm going to rent out that downstairs. She said, did you put an ad in? I said, I haven't had time. What happens, this lady comes down in a Jeep, down our cul-de-sac, sees us moving in, and she says, by any chance, do you have a room to rent? I'm looking for a place. I said, I have a whole suite downstairs. Would you like to see it? I take it downstairs, its own washer, dryer, fridge, stove, you know, meters, uh, air conditioning, heater, its own deck out looking on the creek and the Bell Rock Mountain. And I tell her the place. She said, I take it. Can I move in right away? I said, sure. Can you water my plants and pay my bills? Like I put everything for me? She said, I'd love to. Off <laughs> I went for three months. Wow. But again, it's, it's, it's not getting in the way that, that all these obstacles come up of why you can't do a thing. Everybody has these yes buts. Yeah. We get in our own way. We do. We do. We do. We do. So you're just a great lesson on how we can just really trust and move forward and you have done so much it you are quite amazing you just give so much and look what you're able to accomplish from that i think the more you give the more you receive the more you're there for the, you know god's children the more god and the universe will support you it's really reciprocal. It's like in Puru, they call it Aini, divine reciprocity. Today you give to me, tomorrow I give to you. Mm -hmm. Or today you give to others, and tomorrow the universe gives to you. Mm -hmm. And trusting and acting upon it, taking the first step and watching how the universe... And gratitude, like I said earlier, gratitude. Look for all the little coincidences. Like some people will feel that I'm talking directly to them. They were divinely guided to be on this show at this time. Mm -hmm. Others, it's going to bring up emotions that they need to work on. What the heck is she talking about? That doesn't work. Blah, blah, blah. That's the area that they need to work on. And when something really bothers us and somebody else, then it's something in ourselves that hasn't healed, isn't it? I used to think yeah. that was, you know, an ad's new age bullshit, but I found it to be so true. Yeah, that if we have problems with other people, it's something that we need to look at in ourselves. Mm. And it, it'll show us what we still need to work on or how far we have come, too. Now, you had mentioned in Peru, you had mentioned the rocks that magnetize. When I was looking at the pictures of where this trip is going to be, there are these stone walls. Now, when I was a journalist back in Guam, I went to the Micronesian Islands, the Outer Islands on Little Plains, and went to these, visited. I was not experiencing it. I was so young that if I were to go back there now, my question oh, yeah. would be completely different. 
But when I look at, I, is it moray that has those blocks that seem to be puzzle pieced in? They're like a gray stone. Hmm. It's everywhere. Oh, those are everywhere. What is fascinating about that? I had a major recall when I visited Nan Madal in Pohnpei. Well, that's probably why you were drawn there. So that was amazing. The locals are afraid to spend the night in the place, Nan Madal. Uh, and you definitely had a recall there. I know I lived in, in Peru before, and I remember one time when we were scheduled to go to Lake Titicaca, and our guide said, oh, Mama Sharon, we can't go. There's an airplane strike. And I'm the type of person, if I say I'm going to do something or I promise you something come hell or high water, I'm going to do it. So I said, we have to go. We promised all the people we would go to Lake Titicaca. I said, there's got to be a way. If the planes are on strike, is there a train? No, Mama Sharon. Well, there's got to be roads. Yes, there's roads. Okay, so find a good Mercedes bus with a bathroom. I want three drivers. I want huge picnic lunches prepared. We'll go over the Altiplano. And it goes up to 17,500 feet. I said, that's okay. I've got liquid oxygen with me. So we went. It was a spectacular ride. We sang and laughed and got out and walked. And, you know, the the river, the Urubamba Sacred River, one part went north and one part went south. Once you hit the top, it came out of this geyser. And then as we were going down the other side, all of a sudden I'm yelling, stop the bus, stop the bus. And they said, what's wrong? I don't know, I don't know, just stop it. Then open the doors, open the doors, and follow me. Where are you going? I don't know, just follow me. It was like I was possessed, and I'm running through these fields. And everybody's, where are you going? I don't know, just follow me. And then we went around this this mound, and we found this portal, Amaramamuro. And this, I went running up to it, and it's absolutely amazing. And the, at the top, it has two faces, one of an Indian, just natural carved in rock, one of an Indian facing north and one facing south. But in the center was this huge doorway with two, um, like, holes cut into it, into the stone, and then on each side was a column, like, that you could go into, uh, like the hollow uh, pipe or something. And I knew that I had to stand in the first one and ask for permission to go into the temple, that main one with the two holes. And I knew with the two little indentations, like holes, that I needed to put my third eye in one and my solar plexus or my navel in the other. And then I saw a golden uh, door just spin and it opened and I went flying through to the great, great central sun. And then we went, oh my God, the group, and I came crashing back. Well, wow. we've had the most amazing things happen. We've even had a, a ectoplasm, like a mist in the shape of a puma come out that showed on the on a person's camera. And then Michelle talks about her experience there and said, oh my gosh, you don't even have to do drugs, Dad. And I always say you can get a higher experience without drugs than with drugs because drugs are still a mechanic, isn't it? It's still giving away your power to something. Why not go directly? And so we do healing, phenomenal healings and reawakenings. People just burst open there. And then this, about the same time I found it, uh, Michael Jorge, Jorge Miguel found it too. And he's written a book about it. Well, we found it at the exact same time. And we're meeting all there with hundreds of shamans and medicine men from around the world for 11-11-11. And that's where Michelle will be joining me. I kept saying, Michelle, you've got to come. Come with your group and go backwards. So she's going to meet us there, whereas 
I'm going first into Lima, Cusco, and doing all that tour, ending up in Lake Titicaca and Amaramamuro, and then flying back to Lima and home, she's doing the reverse. Okay. Take my guides and go the reverse. And then mine, the one I'm doing is, so she's asked for a very cheap one, so cheaper hotels and stuff. Mine's uh, still not expensive at all, but more comfortable. I'd like each bedroom to have its own bathroom and things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's an incredible trip. Both of them will be unbelievable. Well, now, this interdimensional doorway, you're... way to God, yeah. You said that you told them to stop the bus, and you ran, and you found it. I didn't even know where I was going. I was just running, running, running. It was the same thing with Mariah. I kept dreaming of circles within circles going deep in the ground. Uh-huh. Nearly all the power points are higher up. They're the, in the mountains and the rocks and everything. And I kept seeing these circles going deeper and deeper, and I kept asking around, does anybody know where it is? And anybody know where it is? Nobody did. And then one day I said, I know where it is. I just know in my heart of hearts I need a really good bus, but an old one doesn't matter if it gets bunged up a bit. A driver that can handle really rough roads, we're going through fields. And we literally went through fields. Now there's roads going there and everything. It's open to the public, and now sometimes you, you have trouble getting in because so many people are there. And when they did the official opening, they asked me to represent Mother Earth to open Marai. And unfortunately, I was already booked in Boston, so I couldn't do it. I'm reminded of Drunval El Melchizedek and his book. This is the same sort of ability that you have. You remember, I really believe that you're remembering this past, and you had a pyramid on your forehead. I remember my past that they're nine feet tall and blonde hair and blue eyes, and I've researched it. I, I belong to what was called the Oxfans, but I haven't found anything on Google, but I, I'm sure we were called Oxfan or something that sounds like Oxfan. Oh. Have you ever heard of that? No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't either, and I've Googled it a number of times thinking there's going to be something soon, but I think eventually they'll prove that we all originally came from the Great Central Sun. And that Peru, that the this Earth, Mother Earth, was populated with by extraterrestrials, and the first place was in Lake Titicaca. So when you go to Lake Titicaca, they literally have murals where you see a spaceship coming down and people connecting and planting Mother Earth. And when I saw that, I saw that in a number of places. I went, Oh my God, this is what I've always believed. I think eventually they'll prove it, but this race was really advanced. And they've discovered new pyramids in Peru, um, or I wouldn't say new, new, let's see, probably 10 years ago now, we were one of the first people to go in. It's not open to the public yet. But then Karel, the pyramids there are bigger than the pyramids in, in uh, Egypt. But these people were dedicated only to initiations and peace and reaching higher levels of consciousness. So all the pyramids were dedicated to that. Can you imagine the energy that's there? So they're excavating them now. And it's a difficult road to get to. You have to fjord a river and everything. But it's, you know, when you're there, if you're at all intuitive, you'll just be imbued with the energy that's there. And there's a special energy. There's, <laughs> in Machu Picchu, we used to get in at night and tell somebody from another group did some really out of integrity things up there and now everybody's barred. But we used to get in and do our ceremonies 
at the Indihuatana, which is the most powerful stone there, and you used to be able to put your forehead down on it, and you would waken psychic abilities or hands-on healing abilities, and researchers have researched that stone, you know, for years. And uh, so this one night, literally, the the we saw like UFOs circling right above us, and people caught it on camera. And and then another time, we were, it was pouring rain there, and as I had said on a release ceremony, release, thunder and lightning just crashed. And the next day, a man approached us, and he had the T-shirts with the picture of Machu Picchu and the storm saying, a rainy night in Machu Picchu. <laughs> you know, the coincidences, you know, when you start to see them, every little coincidence, just say thank you. And the more you say thank you for the little coincidences, the little gift, whether it's a compliment, you know, or a parking space or a penny or, you know, maybe you're worrying about finances and you find a dime or a penny, it means, okay, move out of the way. We're looking after you. Things will manifest soon. Just let go. Because, I mean, I truly believe if you're wor worrying or if you're in stuck in the intellectual mind, you're vibrating at a lower frequency that they really can't help you. You have to do the meditation or find that peace doing EFT, TAT or whatever or I let go, I let God, I will that thy will be my will, I will that my will be thy will, to you feel peace. I can remember walking around the block 15 times till I felt peace. Now, I'm never going to feel peace. And then, well, I would feel peace. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes to get to that space right away. But the more you notice little coincidences, the more you notice the little intricacies of life, and the more you notice little gifts from the universe, the more they're going to manifest in all areas of your life. Okay, so be aware. What about seeing numbers? I've seen, seen a lot of numbers lately, 444, four, four, Oh, two, that two. means, oh my gosh, um, I'll send you some information on that. I've got a whole uh, channel thing about Lemuria, and it's the waking of Mu. It's the time of Mu. When you start seeing those numbers, each one means something. I'll send you that information. And it means that you are, when you see that, honey, say thank you. I say thank you, and I know it's you're all right. Activated. You're being activated. That's wonderful. Oh, and wow. more and more people, I think digital clocks came out at the perfect time. <laughs> Everything seems to come at perfect timing. But how you, you notice where coincidentally you look up, it's 1111 or 111 or 222. Or 1212. Up twelve twelve or eleven forty four. Four four is your foundation being very solid. When you have the fours in it, whether it's in Egyptian numerology or even seeing it on the clock, you means extra angels are working with you. Okay. And I've seen it where right at the last minute or the last second or the last microsecond everything always works out. Yes. The more you can let go and just trust, 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 trust. It does make us feel good, even when there's the things in the economy going on and people oh, are yeah, going yeah. through their changes. It doesn't mean anything. It's happening to make people. How many people were in a job? I hate this job. I hate this job. And next thing you know, they lose the job. They're devastated. But I feel it's a time of individuality. Yeah. It's a time when people need to do what they came here for. Yes. So if they're meant to be a healer, healer. If they're meant to be an artist, an artist. If they're meant to do carpentry, carpentry. If they're meant to do medicine, do medicine. But to really listen to what their call, heart's calling is and what their mission is. Because it doesn't matter what you have in life if you don't love yourself in a good, healthy way, not narcissistic, and you don't have some goal, some purpose in your life. It doesn't matter what else you have. 
It's not going to be enough if you're not living your mission. When I was living in the L.A. area, I had so many actors, actors, and singers. When, when Michelle can attest to that, you would literally think the world was their oyster, mm-hmm. and yet they were coming to me suicidal. The movie I Am says it all. He, he closed the door on his multi-million dollar mansion, and he realized he was no more happier. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yep. Well, as we... Obviously, we are not on a time constraint with today's call because you are fascinating. I would like to offer you the opportunity to give a message for the future and the changes that are coming. Well, I think the the, the main message is, is just hang in there for the ride because <laughs> it, what is going on, instead of looking at the devastating hard part of it, look at all the other beauty that's going on. The problem with radio and TV and newspapers, they're looking at sensationalism in the way of what's not working and the horror and the terror and everything that people are going through, and that creates more energy going in that direction. But if you look at how people are awakening up, these children that are coming that are such savants, like yesterday I listened to um, the El Vivos, V-O-L-V-O-L-V-O, they are like the Aldivos from before, but these kids, I swear, are extraterrestrial. The voices that are coming out as they sing these old songs like Osolomio and Amora Grande, and you see the children with wisdom that are coming, and you see people coming together more than ever helping each other. And to look at all the good that's coming and how things are turning over, like the new laws, military is bringing um, complementary medicine into the military now. Pharmaceutical companies are not going to like that. Obama is insisting more. Montesanto is starting to have trouble. Look at all the good things that are happening. Good. Yeah, that's what we need to look at. There are good things. And I know in the news, if it doesn't, if it it bleeds, it leads. That's That's it. That's it. And out of every single devastation, every pain comes a gift. Yes. We can look at it. We might have needed to be bushwhacked and stuff to make us look at different alternatives. What's your stance on nuclear energy and our role in stepping up? And we don't need to fight or be against something. So how would we move through this nuclear energy transition? Well, some people might think it sounds very scary, but I used to belong to the Great White Brotherhood with Amran Mikhail Ivanov and. He would say that when something was like that was to counteract it with doing the opposite. So if you if you go in and you you do a protest where you're fighting, then then that's that same energy again, isn't it? Yeah. If you can heal in yourself by being the peace you want to see in the world and do the work on yourself, then that's just going to dissolve. Things will just change. There's a really good movie out. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it. It's with Michael Rowland. It's called Being in Heaven. As as you change, like this one is a movie about a man that uh, was do it, was into um, telemarketing and there was corruption and he was put in this position by his boss and he made $10 million but then lost everything and how he turned his whole life around because of it with a chance uh, meeting with this person, how his whole life turned. And that has so much information about letting go, about coming from the heart, of seeing how we're programmed. Like, you can say, 
I want a loving, caring, sharing, lasting relationship and really want it with your conscious mind. And you can listen to subliminal tape, da 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 your loved one's coming, or you can join that EFT they had on the, that wonderful program on Summit, and then you can go to soulmate agencies or look for your soulmate online and never find the right person. Because if you've got only 5 or 10% saying, I want a loving, caring, sharing relationship, and the other 95% it's subconscious saying, no way, I don't want to lose my freedom, I don't want to pick up somebody's dirty socks, I don't want to have to tell people where I'm going, I don't want to be tied down, then guess who's going to win? Mm-hmm. So part of the time we're saying we want one thing, and we think we do, but if there's programs under there, and and he was going, how we're dealing with our issues, and my daughter's here, she just left a very abusive relationship, which was my pattern, mm-hmm. and she was saying, how can, we, how can we be the same? And I said, look what he's talking about, how we're clearing up, and this is really where my work comes in, and I also teach Ho'oponopono. Dr. Len was my student 30 years ago. Oh, really? In Hawaii, on the Big Island. So the, the I also teach Ho'oponopono, but... When you, with this new, the multi-generational genealogical release there, you see what's coming down. And she said, my mom, what patterns are coming here? And I said, well, look at this. My dad nearly died at birth. He married an extremely abusive, violent person, my mother. I nearly died at birth. My mother was extremely violent. So what did I do? Turn around and meet an abuser, rapist husband. You almost died at birth. Your father was a child molester and a beater, but you also married a a beater, a violent man. Can you see the patterns? Mm -hmm. Oh, my God, I never thought of it. We don't think of it until we start doing this work, where it could be like one client I was working with on the weekend said, this is where Egyptian numerology comes in, because this man was a 5999, and I... Said, and I looked at him, and I said, he said, what can you do for, for peripheral neuropathy? And I said, are you pre-diabetic or diabetic? He said, nowhere near, that's not here. And I said, I bet you anything, you have a five and first position, what's your date of birth? And he told me it was the fifth. Uh-huh. So I said, where were you abandoned? How were people not there for you? Where is the unrequited love and past life? Where has there been loss in this life? Where has there been abuse? So then we went to do a healing on the chap, and he had said he'd never been abandoned or anything. So I just laughed, and I said, hey, come on, big guy, and he's in his 70s. Don't tell me you haven't had this. Tell me about the times you were abused and what comes up. Next thing you know, here he was for an hour and a half pouring out stuff. His, his girlfriend of 21 years was there, and his partner of 21 years, they had never heard any of this stuff that was all inside. Yeah. But the numbers made me tell, hey, hey, you, like, and I would joke and say, hey, hey, big guy, you can't fool me. I know this is there. Come on, get it out. Mm-hmm. Who abandoned? Nobody ever did. Who abandoned you? My father left when I was three years old. My mother put me in a foster home where I was abused. Then I was put in an orphanage. Da, 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 da. And it's coming out. Amazing. You see, so this is. The, the Egyptian numerology, along with my my uh, intuitive abilities, I often get called the rotor rooter because I'll dig, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really try and find out where are the underlying causes of these issues. You know, people, medical professionals say, well, this is stress-oriented, but what caused the stress in the first place? Yeah. You know, there's a deficiency, but what caused the deficiency? Or 
or the wire, the brain is wired in this person differently in this person. What caused that? See, that's what I want to find. That's why I'm so successful in in being an instrument of reversing diseases, because I follow that inner guidance that I look for beyond staying stuck. I'm always questioning why. There has to be a reason. Why did this person do this? There has to be a reason. What happened that created they were this way? That's what I want to find. That's what I want to heal. It doesn't do any good throwing people in prison systems where they come out. How many times do we hear within a few months, they're out? I know there's people who are listening to this call that definitely want to get in touch with you. Uh, we have two websites, one is, or three actually. One is www.healingnow, and that talks about, you know, uh, my projects in Peru, but also how I started, and, and there's some testimonials, and also my itinerary, which I have to get put up today because I'm so busy. And then there's another one, healnow-itstime. So www.heal, H-E-A-L, now-itstime, I-T-S-time.com. And then with our programs in Peru, Pascai. Pascai means to break the chains of limiting. It's like a metamorphosis. So Pascai is uh, P-A-S-K-A-Y dot org. And that's our programs in Peru. And I have a... Two-week intensive, there's only a few places coming up in the first two weeks of September. Um, oh, boy, here again, because I have so many degrees in the field of science and healing, say somebody comes to me with a migraine, you could have 10 people with a migraine with the exact same symptoms. All 10 need a different underlying, have a different underlying cause, and all 10 need a different protocol. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, as a chiro, would I, would I do a, you know, corrective subluxation, or as a medical doctor, would I give a prescription as a naturopath with migraines? Would I give fever? If you was a homeopath, would I do Belarana or Bayrana? So uh, as a past life, would I look for birth trauma, whiplash, past life? You know, where do you go? As a nutritionist, would I look for deficiency, toxicity, or allergy? So how do you go? So I kept saying, okay, God and the universe, I need to find out. And in a dream, they taught me this technique that I call priority testing, that I'm connecting with the person's higher self, and the higher self indicates where something is. So that's coming up. And then also in that's the first two weeks of September, and then the, the, la, the, the 20th to the 27th, I'm teaching the CCMBA for one day, becoming a master manifester for one day, and then in the main conference, a whole bunch of little things like um, spiritual alchemy, and I can't remember what else, OEPC, etheric plane communication. And then two days after the main conference, I'm teaching the multi-generational and Ho'oponopono. And um, that's a really reasonable course. The, the two days, 250, and the CCMBA is 88, and and courses during the main conference are something like 44 and $77. It's just to get it out so that people, a lot of people that were really put our work to, to use don't have that much money. Why? Because they're always helping people. Very, very powerful work, and what a wonderful discussion today. Dr. Sharon Forrest of HealingNow.com, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I haven't certainly enjoyed it, and Love and abundant blessings to everybody listening and step into your power and your magnificence. The world is waiting for you.
Don't play it small. Step up to the plate. You will be loved, guided, and supported. And I thank you, too, for listening. Please share this program so that we can get this important information out to the rest of the world. And be sure to follow this show so you get notifications of our weekly shows full of fresh information that you won't find in mainstream media. I now leave you with music from the universe brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. This is music literally created by the universe as musical notes were assigned to mathematical equations. Take a listen to the music and have a beautiful day. Thank you.